This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Don't you find it kind of interesting that all of a sudden the left cares about insurrection? I'm old enough to remember back a few months ago when you had leftist radicals setting cities on fire and looting and even killing people in the streets. And the left said this is all peaceful. They're all peaceful protests. And if President Trump has any sort of inclination to invoke the Insurrection Act in order to quell it, he's a dangerous dictator. Well, who loves insurrection now? Nobody loves insurrection, but it is a little strange that when you had these cities out of control, the left wasn't that concerned about it because now Democrats in the House have introduced a single article of impeachment against President Trump. They have charged him with incitement of insurrection over the January 6th violence at the Capitol. Now, I want to play for you just a soundbite that will encapsulate everything you need to know about the left. Well, maybe not everything. I have a couple of cuts that really will kind of give you a full picture of it. Let's go to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. This is from her interview on 60 Minutes, describing her point of view on Donald Trump. Listen to cut one. Is anybody running the executive branch of the government? Who is running the executive? Well, sadly, the person who's running the executive branch is a deranged, unhinged, dangerous president of the United States. And only a number of days until uh, we can be protected from him. Uh, But he has done something so serious uh, that there should be prosecution against him. How in the world will we ever be able to take impeachment seriously going forward when these people are doing it for purely political power reasons. They don't want a Republican president, especially Donald Trump, to ever come into that White House ever, 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 ever again. They are emboldened. This is why they're all into the big tech censorship. That's why they are just spiking the football and they're all excited and let's get him. He's about to leave. You know, when you look at this from a sensible viewpoint, you ask yourself, why in the world would you try to impeach a president who's about to leave? Now, there are people on social media who are saying perhaps the reason for this is they're afraid that he might declassify documents that will make them look terrible and they got to get him out as quickly as possible. But even now we're hearing the Senate wouldn't even take it up until the day before the inauguration. So what is the point in all of it? They have a point, and it has nothing to do with the actual facts on the ground about what occurred on January 6th. The president never said anything to incite what happened. These rioters are responsible for their own actions. He talked about peacefully and patriotically heading toward the Capitol and the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who were there to support their country and to express themselves peacefully did not run toward the Capitol and storm it. This wasn't like the storming of the Bastille here. You had some outliers who did stuff they shouldn't have done. And so they ought to be arrested and have been arrested for what they did. But they were outliers. They were outliers. And they don't want to talk about this. And yet, Joe Scarborough over on MSNBC never misses an opportunity to go completely nuclear. This is cut two. 
during the rise of of Hitler. Uh, you had, yeah. And by the way, we can draw the analogies uh, as far as we can we can talk about this being 1933. We can do that. A lot of businesses, a lot of German corporations saw Hitler as a clown. They backed him uh, because they thought he was going to be a bulwark against communism, against the rise of communism across Europe, socialism. We've seen a lot of businesses, a lot of CEOs, a lot of the world's richest people, a lot of America's richest people back Donald Trump uh, and back him because it was good for their bottom line. I'm wondering uh, whether uh, the business community, whether these richest Americans, whether the Chamber of Commerce, whether others are going to step up and actually condemn this fascism, condemn this fascist violence, and actually hold accountable those who tried to subvert American democracy by spreading lies that every business leader knows was a lie and knows inspired these riots. And if you're Josh Hawley, still spread these lies after a Capitol Hill police officer and others were killed. That's Joe Scarborough for you. Par for the course. Godwin's Law. If you go on long enough, especially online, somebody will invoke Hitler at some point. So you got to bring the Nazis into it and scream fascism. Just remember the group that is most loudly screaming that they are anti-fascist are the same ones who have done untold damage to the city of Portland and set a federal courthouse on fire and threw bottles and all the rest of the violence that's gone on in the streets. And you don't see the left going off on that. They don't they don't talk about those people who occupied the Capitol during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. How can we never hear about that? And there were a lot of them, a lot of them. This is not to justify what happened, but I go to what Pamela Geller had to say. She's got a great piece here, an American thinker called There Was No Revolution. And it's worth reading this, but a couple of lines from it, I think, are worth while. There was no revolution. There was no pro-Trump coup attempt. Everyone knows it, she says. A couple of crackpots who pranked at the Capitol are now being called a revolution, as if that crazy painted face shaman with the buffalo horn hat was leading, what are they calling it? Ah, yes, an insurrection. Yeah, right. There was a call by millions of Americans for election integrity. It was met with shoot to kill behavior and then a great purge. It wasn't a revolution. It was more like an ambush. No one is asking who gave the shoot to kill order or who gave the order to invite protesters into the Capitol building. We do know that the January 6th Capitol protesters were invited in. And you can see the video evidence of this if you go online. What we do know is that there were scores of Trump rallies attended by hundreds of thousands of people with not one incident. What we do know, she says, is our people are peaceful, respectful and law abiding. What we do know is we are a subclass untouchables who have been brutally punished at every turn, most especially this past year by Democrat despots. We do know that we witness months of insurrection, burning cities, government buildings, streets, and even sometimes homes. And we're told it was peaceful and necessary. That was insurrection. We watched Democrats take over the Hart Senate building and state Capitol buildings, and we're told it was beautiful. 2018, and she references the large crowd of activists and allies in black occupying the Hart Senate building to make sure the lawmakers know they will not be silenced. Yeah, that was brave, right? 
And according to Mike Yoder, the political consultant, in 1983, Susan Rosenberg planted a bomb outside the U.S. Senate chamber to assassinate Republican senators. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler, who was one of the congressmen, incidentally, who introduced this impeachment resolution yesterday, got President Clinton to pardon Susan Rosenberg. And she's now a board member of Black Lives Matter Network, Inc. So you can do this rationale for yourself you can figure out what's going on here this is the ultimate gaslighting it is and and it's just more than a shame it's shocking it is enraging i'm so tired of it millions of us are tired of it but don't believe the lie don't fall for it there are a lot of people who are falling all over themselves okay i'll distance myself from everybody what are you doing we can we can denounce these rioters as we should without yielding on the on the broader point of Americans have a right to peacefully assemble and most of them did and these people are total hypocrites who are trying to make everybody who is at the Trump rally look like criminals when they didn't care about the real criminals on the left who were going after our cities at a time when most of us were shut down because of covid don't forget what you know. Don't forget what already has happened. And by the way, good old David French, the senior editor at The Dispatch, who never fails to say something infuriating at the wrong time, is now blaming all of this as a violent Christian insurrection that invaded and occupied the Capitol. Why does he say this? He says, because so very many of the protesters told us they were Christian. Great logic. Fantastic logic, David. Wrong again. David French is wrong again. (laughs) And in other news, the sun came up today. Praise the Lord that it did. When we come back, Brian Gibson is a pastor who was there on January 6th. We're going to hear his perspective. When we return, you're listening to Janet Mefford today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and in January, we are honoring the preborn and the more than 60 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion. The Ministry of Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. By equipping pregnancy centers with free ultrasounds, Preborn is able to meet abortion-minded women at their darkest hour and shine the light of Jesus. You see, when a young mom considering abortion walks into a preborn center, it's a divine appointment where she encounters the love of Christ and the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her. I feel like it was meant for me to have this way. This is something God gave me for a reason. 80% of women in crisis choose life after meeting their baby on ultrasound. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 350 babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. The Ministry of Preborn is seeking heroes right now who will partner with them to give the gift of life to babies in crisis. Preborn believes it is God's heart to save the preborn from the abortion genocide. Would you please join with Preborn and all of us here at Janet Mefford today to help choose life for 350 babies, all gifts 
gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward the cause of life. One ultrasound session costs $28 and for a gift of $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. But any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even a gift of $15,000 will buy an ultrasound machine. Call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. House Democrats are on the road to impeachment again, this time because of the riot at the Capitol on January 6th for that March for Trump rally. I'll tell you, one of the most frustrating things about the fake news media is how they go out of their way, not just to indoctrinate us with the leftist narrative all the time, but then to suppress information that would actually refute the narrative that they want to push. So in light of this, a lot of us are still wondering what really happened on the ground there at this March for Trump. Well, my next guest was there. Brian Gibson is senior pastor of his church, and you might Remember him from peaceablygather.com, this great effort to encourage churches to exercise their religious freedom again during the unconstitutional COVID-19 shutdowns. I really appreciate what Brian has done. And he had a bird's eye view concerning the events on the ground there in the nation's capital. He was actually a speaker at the Prayer to Save America event that was held just before the Trump rally. But we are delighted that he's able to join us now. Brian, welcome. It's so good to welcome you back to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. It's it's a real honor. No, it's It's an honor for me. Boy, I'll tell you what, it is really great to be able to talk to you because I know that you were there and it's so nice to actually talk to a Christian and a pastor who can tell the truth about what went on on the ground. Tell us a little bit, because you spoke at this event, as I just mentioned, and then you were at the rally. How did you happen to go? What was it that really motivated you to go to the rally in the first place? Well, I've been, uh, you know, I'm a local church pastor and I love the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it's the pillar in the ground of the truth and it's the only thing that Jesus is building on the earth today. So when the shutdown started and everybody started coming against the, the church, really targeting religious freedom and everybody else was opened up, the church was shut down. We jumped up and said, hey, we're opening up and, and the church ought to open up. Yep. So uh, we had about 5,000 churches join us over a course of three weeks with Peaceably Gather to stand up for our First Amendment and say, hey, we're not bowing our knee to Caesar, we'll only bow our knee to Christ. So anybody that wants help with that, they could go to pg.today, find us there. But I went up to, to, to pray and to preach in a prayer to save America. It was in Freedom Plaza on the 5th, and uh, it, was a, it was a glorious day. We had a lot of ministers there praying and, and preaching. I got to do a, a, a gospel presentation. I would say there were eight to 10,000 people on the ground right then. And uh, I saw half to two thirds of the crowd raise their hand to accept Christ. So, oh, wow. so we were on an all t- you know a big time high on the fifth. So we get up on the sixth, and uh, you know that's what we went there for to, to proclaim Jesus and to stand for the first. And also, I appreciate pro life policies, right? Pro uh, constitutional policies. So I've been a supporter of the president, and uh, we uh, so so we went up. I got up in the morning, went and heard the president. Let me say this. I did not hear the president at one time call for violence, call for the storming of the Capitol, right. call for destruction or call for mayhem. Regardless of what the media is saying, that's not what the president said. Um, I, walked, I walked back from, the, um, from, from uh, the president's speech, and it was freezing. My feet had gotten wet. I went into the hotel, and uh, I, I received a call. And the call was, was, Pastor, I hear that, that someone has breached the Capitol. 
And at first, I just didn't believe it. Because <laughs> what I was thinking is, how in the world uh, do people breach what should be one of the most secure buildings in the world, right? right. Especially when it's in session. So I'm like, ah, that's, that's not right. That can't be right. And um, so I was in, the, in my room there, so I put on my, my tennis shoes and took off up the hill to see what was happening. And, you know, when the president was speaking, it's hard to estimate a crowd like that. I would say it's the largest crowd I've ever been in, maybe in my life, for <laughs> sure in America. A um, couple million, I don't know, a million to two million, who knows? I mean, it was, it was massive. But, but when I went to the Capitol, all of those people weren't at the Capitol, but a bunch of people were there. And uh, most of them on the outside and the fringes were totally peaceful. And that's where I was looking to see what was going on. Uh, I could see up at the top that there was tear gas being released and that there were people up at the top. So, uh, but still what was happening, I mean, I saw families hanging out there. I saw people singing, uh, God bless America, you know, the, the reciting the pledge of allegiance. Uh, but at the top of that, the video shows, I wasn't up there, uh, that there were some bad actors that went in and did some bad things. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's a very small percentage, a micro percentage of the crowd that was there. Um, I think you hear different reports, and obviously I, I don't know what's what yet, but some people say there were Antifa actors. Uh, some people, and I'm sure Trump people followed whoever through the doors, too. I've seen some videos where it looks like the Capitol Police at some points opened up certain doors and allowed them in. Yeah. So I've got some questions I think of a lot of Americans do. If they're not just mesmerized by the mainstream media, uh, how does someone get inside that building? Number one. Yeah. Number two, where's the outrage for the life of the lady that was shot up there? Right. Uh, I heard a lot of outrage throughout throughout this year. Um, you know, uh, th- this outrage is different. I'll just say there's a double standard on the left. BLM and Antifa can burn down cities, and it's okay. And but when this action happens, they they all of a sudden have this righteous indignation. Exactly. So I absolutely denounce all violence. Those people should not have breached that building. They shouldn't have touched anything up there. Come on, that is the people's house. That is our house. It's like tearing up your mother's house. So yeah. there's no excuse for their actions. But I think we need a just measure. So that that's that's my perspective. Yeah, that's good. And you know what's interesting to me, and it really enrages me, and I agree with what you said there. We denounce violence. Obviously, we're you know the GOP, the party of law and order. It's kind of weird that you would even have people doing that, and all the details have yet to come out. But I get really annoyed when I see people like David French, for example, chalking all of this up to a Christian insurrection. He's actually saying this, and he claims to be a Christian himself. He recently wrote a violent Christian insurrection invaded and occupied the Capitol. You have people actually trying to say that the crowd was a a bunch of Christian nationalists. And this is what happens when you let Christian nationalists get together, which, you know, all of us who know that that's not the case get so frustrated. What would you say to that? Having been there? I would say that's a hundred percent a spin job that that guy ought to repent. He's 1000% wrong. And, and this whole term of Christian nationalists, um, it's been manufactured by the left as a smear, uh, trying to paint us all as, as domestic terrorists. And it's just a lie. And it, it's one of the oldest Marxist plays in the world. Yeah. You take what you are and you project it on the people you're trying to destroy. Exactly. So it's unacceptable. And I'll say this. I, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on, I serve an unshakable kingdom. I'm a Christian first, without a shadow of a doubt. But if Jesus is my king, 
And I believe my nation is also my responsibility. So I also love America. And uh, there, it's no sin and it's not illegal to love Jesus and also to love your nation. So th- this is another hack job by the left uh, to try to, to really silence the church. Uh, I think it's because they hate our voice. We won't side with their pro-death, or I'll call it, they call it pro-choice, I call it pro-death policies. Yeah. Uh, we won't side with their Marxist agenda. We won't side with their brainwashing of our children in the, in the um, school systems in America. And they, they honestly, it's just, it's just the persecution is ramping up yeah. for the church in America. And we gotta, better get prepared. We're not going to be a cruise ship church. Amen. We, better, we better get strong. Amen. I couldn't agree more with you. What do you make of the Democrats trying to re-impeach Trump when he only has a couple of days left in office anyway? I mean, here we had Nancy Pelosi going on 60 Minutes, calling him unhinged and dangerous. Uh, is this just a political stunt, or do you think these people have really crossed the line between sane and insane at this point? Well, they're insane, and that is a coup is what that is. And, yeah, they have tried the, the 25th. Obviously, Trump went on Twitter three times to tell those people to stop that. Yeah. And after that, he released a video. Of course, Twitter pulled it down, and then he platformed it. But, yeah, they, they fear him. Uh, that's why they want to um, impeach him so he could never run again. That's the whole play right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think Nancy Pelosi's been unhinged. I don't know. I'm 43. Maybe since I was born. So, um <laughs> You know, for at least the 43 years I've been on the earth, I've known her to be on the earth. So they'll try. And, uh, man, the, the watching watching past that, watching the, the radical moves left, um, it looks like so many nations that lost liberty around the world mm-hmm. that I've ministered into. Mm-hmm. And America better wake up. It's like we're the hobbits living in the Shire while the rest of the world is, was burning. Well, now the fires come to our home. Mm-hmm. And if you love liberty and you love America— um, you, you better let your voice be heard. That's of course, right. we never, we, you know, we're never a proponent of violence. Um, if you stand for conservative Christian values, and if you have a constitutional view of America, um, they're going to try to paint you as someone that's violent, someone that's a terrorist, and uh, we have to, we have to, we have to wisely use words of love and the words of Christ to turn that narrative back around. And to, and to uh, win, win our nation's heart, soul, and mind. And we're, we're going to have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Because we're living in uh, treacherous days. But let me say this. God is still on the throne. My hope is in heaven. My hope's never been in a president. My hope's not in the, in the uh, Republican Party. And any Christian that's down right now, let me tell you, Jesus is still coming back. He will return as a lion. His feet will land on the Mount of Olives. He'll walk down through the Kidron Valley, and he'll take his rightful place on Mount Moriah. So I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. I've been saying that every single day. Come, Lord Jesus. And, and we're getting closer all the time to the end, and we know who wins in the end. And I think that can give us encouragement and hope in these days. Um, very quickly, Brian, how would you ask people to pray for you in your ministry right now? Well, I would ask them to pray. I'm, I'm talking to you from a secure location. I've had so many death threats. Uh, the <sighs> death threats are rolling in. And uh, people are, are allowed, like these social media outfits. It's funny. They deplatform uh, the president, but the, the Chinese Communist Party is still on Twitter. They, they deplatform the president. They're cutting all conservative Christian guys off. But I'll say this. The Ayatollah of Iran 
who's who's threatened again and again to put the Jews in the sea and that they all should die. Mm. They're still on Twitter. Right. So I guess pray for our safety. I know that God is God will protect us, but pray Psalm 91 over us and our family and pray for the church to rise up and be bold as lions. I love it. Brian, we'll do that. Thank you so much for the update. Stay well and God bless. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Those verses in Psalm 34 are so comforting and give us hope on those days when troubles overwhelm us. And of course, we all go through that. But what about the person, even the Christian and even the Christian pastor who experiences being crushed in spirit every single day? Depression is a real thing and so is suicide. And we have seen over overwhelming evidence of this during the pandemic lockdowns and also the economic fallout. Is there any hope in God's word for people struggling this way and from God himself when the darkness feels all enveloping? Well, of course, the answer is yes. And we're going to talk about it today with Ben Corson. He is senior pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship. He's a TV and radio host and founder of Hope Generation, which aims to help those people struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts. And today we'll be discussing his book called Flirting with Darkness. Ben, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Such an honor to be with you, my friend. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, I know this is a really tough subject to tackle, but it's very real. I'm wondering if you've heard a lot from people, especially in this last year, about these kinds of struggles and battles with depression and suicide, because, boy, it's all over the news right now. Yeah, so literally 50% of Americans are reporting that the coronavirus pandemic has actually exacerbated and made worse their mental illness. So there was one federal emergency hotline that reported a 1,000% increase of incoming calls for those in emotional distress this April Mm. as juxtaposed against last April. So it's it's not just the statistics. I was literally speaking in Omaha a couple days ago, and I can't tell you how many people come to me, and when they get my book and I talk to them, they're like, man, my kid is going through so much depression right now. In fact, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because the number one problem I hear people having is a struggle with depression. Wow. It's awful. It's absolutely terrible. And it, your heart breaks every time you hear about somebody who's just gone over the edge. You refer to yourself, Ben, as an ex-suicide. And I'm sure that's not an easy thing for you to have admitted because people expect Christian pastors to be above everything, which mm-hmm. we know is not the case. But can you share a little bit about your battles with depression and with thoughts of suicide? Because I think the willingness to talk about it can help an awful lot of people. I mean, I kept it secret from the public for years. I didn't talk about it for years. I almost committed suicide several times. Um, I went through over a decade of chronic depression and suicide ideation. In fact, I got diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder after my brother died and after my sister died and just a series of traumas. So this really was a battle for me that was so intense 
my future just seems like nothing but an infinite gray. And so like this message is so passionate on my heart. Like remember when Russia uh, thought they found the cure to the coronavirus and they called it Sputnik five and they hawk it to the world or imagine social activists found the cure or panacea to AIDS or, you know, medical scientists found the cure to cancer. They would shout that from the mountaintops. And that's why I literally just kind of live on airplanes as it were, because I just need to spread this message of hope because I myself went through it. But, but it, I, I have to talk about it. And here's why. People are like they're impressed by our accomplishments, but they connect with our weaknesses. And ever since I've been sharing my story, I think that's the number one thing that's helped people. And my message is this. If God could help heal me from depression, he can heal anybody. Well, right, for sure. Yeah, And, and this is something that also will come up sometimes with non-Christians. They'll say, but you're a Christian. I thought that God gave you hope. I thought that God mm-hmm. would get you through deep places in ways that non-Christians can't get through. And if your God is not powerful enough to help you with your depression, then why should I become a Christian? I know that sounds very cynical, but there are some people mm-hmm. who think like that. How do you explain I'm a Christian and yet I'm yes. depressed? Well, 129 times in 121 verses, the Bible talks about hope. So the Bible says he is the God of hope. Romans 15, 4 says the scriptures were written to give us hope. So there is hope to be found. At the same time, I want to remind people, if you read the Bible, the greatest character struggled with depression. So the Bible never says, you know, if you're a Christian, you won't suffer from depression. In fact, kind of the opposite seems to happen. Paul said, Paul the Apostle said, we despaired even of life. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Moses said, if you continue to treat me this way, God, then just take my life. Jonah was suicidal when he sat under his plant after, you know, that revival in Nineveh. And then you look at somebody like Elijah, who sat under a broom tree and said, God, I'm no better than my father's. Take my life. Job himself said, I wish I was a stillborn. And David was borderline, if not bipolar, when one minute he's dancing in his linen ephod, Uh, before the Lord in the next minute, he's saying, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So I'm just saying the greatest Bible characters often struggle with depression. So the Bible doesn't promise us that we won't go through suffering. Rather, the Bible promises us hope in the midst of it so we can overcome our suffering. Very good point. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you're right. There are an awful lot of biblical characters. You named a number of them who absolutely struggle with depression. All you need to do is read the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are so full of that sort of thing. And even Solomon, you can see Solomon when you read through Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of hopelessness there. What does it feel like, though, Ben? Because here you are as a pastor and somebody that a lot of people look up to. And I know we've had some of these tragic, pastoral suicides just in the last year or so, which have been absolutely heartbreaking. You know, what does it feel like when you are balancing this responsibility of being a Christian pastor and reaching out to people with the hope of Jesus Christ, and yet at times you are feeling hopeless? I mean, that has to be an additional struggle, it would seem. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. You mentioned the Psalms. 50% 50% of the Psalms scholars tell us, r- roughly 50%, almost 50% of the Psalms are laments. Yeah. So these are characters who are really struggling. So, so here's, here's my personal philosophy on this, is I share about my struggle publicly, like from a stage, after the fact. Because I don't want to just go up there and, and emote and say like, hey guys, like, my life's really terrible, I feel really sad. Because then if they, if they see me struggling with this and having no answer... They're going to think, well, how am I going to get through it? So what I try to do is in retrospect, 
just like Jesus after the cross, when he got to the resurrection, he said, touch my wounds, because he's saying, in other words, there's healing in these wounds. So when, I, when I'm personally struggling, I have a group of friends, I have confidants, I have a therapist, I have my family that I'm able to talk to. But then after I find the answer and after I get on the other side and after I overcome, then I share with people the tools they need to overcome depression that I used when I overcame my own despair. So that's something I really believe in is not just saying like, hey, I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm being my authentic self. Why don't I just stay depressed? But rather saying, yes, I did struggle with depression. Here's what I've gone through. But also here are the solutions because the psalmist didn't say, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, keep up the good work. He said, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. So we shouldn't stay in a state of depression. We need to remove the stigma from depression. Absolutely. But we also need to fight for hope. Well, and you said that you were suffering from depression after a series of tragedies in your life, which obviously is tied at least somewhat to situations in your life. But then the PTSD is another thing altogether. Are you still clinically diagnosed as being you know, a sufferer of depression and PTSD right now? Um, not right now. I was about a year ago. Um, it, when, it, when things started getting really bad for me in recent years was when my brother got uh, sick with, with cancer and mm-hmm. we taught at the same church together and lived about 10 minutes away from each other. And so when, when that happened and then when he passed away and went to heaven and joined my sister in heaven, then I, and I was also going through major burnout. Like I was living on the road so consistently that I was like constantly kind of mildly chronically sick. And I just got to a place of burnout. I mean, I gave my first sermon in third grade, started preaching at 16 and became a pastor my senior year of high school. And I was constantly living on the road. So going kind of a combination of those things and also a romantic heartbreak after an eight year relationship, this stalker guy who protests me and my family when I go speak, just kind of a lot of different stuff. And then one of my pastor friends committed suicide during that season amidst other things. I started getting diagnosed with complex PTSD. And then over time, uh, I was able to find hope. In, in this book, Flirting with Darkness, I really kind of lay out those weapons that God gave me to defeat this despair. Very good. We'll get into that when we come back from this break. Ben Corson is with us and talking about his book called Flirting with Darkness. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? 
good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal. Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, it is difficult to talk about issues like depression and suicide. And yet here we are talking about these things because they affect a lot of people's lives and not just the lives of nameless people in the headlines, but also people, you know, people you love. And maybe even your pastor is struggling with some of these issues. Ben Corson is with us, and he is one of those pastors who has struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression. His book, Flirting with Darkness, gets into not just some of the background on all of it, but also reasons for hope. So, Ben, let's talk a little bit about the hope side, because there are some people who believe if I'm depressed, if I'm having suicidal thoughts, there's no way out of this. What what do you say to that person at the outset about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Antonio Damasio, who's a neuroscientist, reported that 95% of the time, it's our feelings that decide for us. And that's that's pretty difficult to hear because would any of us trust a friend that lied to us as much as our emotions do? No. <laughs> like, like, would you trust a friend that lied to you as much as your feelings do? And if we make 35,000 choices every day and 95% of those choices are driven by our feelings, then sometimes we have to fight for what we don't feel, count it all joy, because hope is a journey and joy is a choice. So here's what I want to tell people. There's this obscure passage in the book of Ezekiel where the prophet rebukes the children of Israel because they were saying, our teeth are set on edge because our fathers ate sour grapes, which was a proverbial way of saying we're the way we are because of our parents. Sounds very Freudian, you know, and you can even say that through genetic determinism today, you know, 50% of my DNA spiral ladder I get from my mom, the other 50% of my genome from my dad. So that's, that's why I'm chronically depressed. And while there is a genetic factor and while we do inherit certain traits from our parents, I just want to say that modern science is now showing us, uh, through brain scans, that there's something called neuroplasticity. Daniel Amen, who's a psychiatrist, did more brain scans than anyone in history, 83,000 over a 22-year career. And he said the single most important discovery and find he and his colleagues made is that the brain can change. <laughs> and that's what I want to tell people. When the Bible says you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, when Ephesians says you can be renewed in the spirit of your mind, when the Bible says take your thoughts captive, we, science is now showing us through neuroplasticity and brain scans that by practicing over and over again, like a muscle through rote and repetition, if you continue to drive your thoughts toward hope, even if you don't feel like it, you actually can change your brain. Yeah. 
Well, what helped you when you were trying to get out of some of your bouts of depression and the most recent one you had mentioned? I'm very sorry, by the way, for your loss, because that's just heartbreaking to hear about that. But where do you begin when you open up the word of God, for example? Where do you start? Do you start with the Psalms? Does that help you? What Or, or crying out to the Lord, uh, doing both? What happens in your life when you're dealing with those things? Yeah, so I call it the dark lord of depression that we're fighting, and I I, I lay out 11 practical weapons to defeat the dark lord of depression. So I'll start with the first one, and uh, we can cover as much or as little as you want, but the first one is this, prayer walks. So check this out. You're going to love this. This is scientific research, okay? Scientific research shows us that when you talk to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams— it actually has the same effect on your brain as therapy. So, so for example, brain scans show if you meditate on or pray to a loving God, your prefrontal cortex develops richer, thicker gray matter where decision-making and learning is in the brain um, and consciousness and creative thinking. You actually have more blood flow also to your interior cortex in your brain, which is where empathy and compassion are because you can't put someone on your hit list or you put on your prayer list. <laughs> you know, you have less activity in your amygdala, which is where fear, anger, stress, and high blood pressure are, the rat brain. So, so brain scans actually show us how your, your brain changes through prayer when you're praying to a loving God. So, so what I'm saying is, if you want less anger, less fear, less anxiety, less of the rat brain to have power, um, if you want lower blood pressure, if you want greater cognition, creative thinking, stronger awareness, more empathy, more compassion, then if you pray to a loving God, that's what happens in your brain. So the number one thing that healed me from depression, the number one thing amongst all these 11 is is prayer walks. That's where I start. That's good. And that, that you know, really, that's important to go right to the Lord because it, it, we can't do it on our own if we could. And we can just do a little checklist of our lives and solve all of our own problems. Why would we ever run to him for help? You know what? Another person who comes to mind, Ben, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. When you were going through all the biblical characters who have wrestled with depression, I was thinking about Elijah because here was Elijah who confronts the prophets of Baal and has this epic battle and he ends up winning and then Jezebel is going to kill him and he loses it and he gets scared and he's freaking out and I think a lot of people read into that the fact that the battle just wore him down which reminds me of what you just said about being burned out what did mm-hmm. God do for him the first thing he does for him is he causes him to go to sleep and I'm wondering about the issue of rest, the importance of rest when you are depressed. Obviously, you don't want to be lying in your bed all day and all night because then that's indicative of a bigger problem of depression. But what kind of role does rest play for you, particularly with your schedule? Well, that's so that gave me chills when you said that, because I literally almost was going to share about that exact story. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I was I I literally was almost going to share about that. So that's kind of confirmation. Here's Here's why I think that story is so funny, because he can face down 850 prophets of Baal in the groves, respectively, and then one angry woman sends him running. Yeah. And it says when, when Jezebel, when Jezebel like, died, she painted her face, and then the dogs ate her body except for her wrists and her feet. And her, it's kind of a weird story, but basically Jezebel is this crazy queen. I picture her like the female it clown. Like she would like paint her face at the end of her life, chasing Elijah in a chariot. Somehow he outruns her. He's exhausted from this race. So what does God do? He gives him food, okay? So Elijah prays to him. He complains to him. He, he, uh, God gives him food after he prays while he's praying. 
sends angels to feed him in the story, and then he puts him to sleep. So there's, there's three things we learn there. There are very few things a good prayer time, a good nap, and a good meal won't solve. So Elijah was tired. He was isolated. He was alone in a cave under a broom juniper tree, and he was hungry. And I think sometimes we got to not over-spiritualize it, too, and say, you know what? I'm not going to overthink or catastrophize when I'm tired, isolated, and hungry, because there are very few things a good nap, a good prayer time, and a good meal won't solve. Now, for me personally, you know, I'm not married. I just have a cat, Persian cat named Fridge. So I can kind of go at 100 miles an hour. I mean, I haven't taken a day off in, in months and months, but I actually am going to take a vacation here in January and just recharge and relax because I found that if I'm having a healthy diet, if I'm exercising every day, if I'm making sure to prioritize sleep at night, the greatest Olympic athletes, like even take LeBron James from the NBA, he sleeps like 10 to 12 hours a day. Mm. So he works really hard and he rests really hard. And I think sometimes we do neither. Like we're just scrolling on our phone, not really, really resting and not really working. And then we get depressed. Yeah. So I think we should, we should play hard and work hard. We should labor hard and sleep hard. You know what I mean? I do. Anything, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Yeah, you said that very well, Ben, and I, I think that that is applicable to a lot of pastors in your situation where you're just running, 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 running. That in and of itself can kind of feed the demons of depression. And, and you know, this also raises an important point, I think, about the human body and the human body's involvement in what you feel in terms of depression. I mean, when Christians used to say, well, just pray about it, just pray about it. It. You should pray about it, but there are also mm-hmm. people who are helped by medicine. And and mm-hmm. what are your feelings on that aspect of, of sometimes in a yes. certain situation, antidepressants actually can be good and kind of get your recalibration in effect where yep. you can function better? I'm with you. You know, when the presynaptic neurons are reabsorbing the serotonin, the feel-good chemical in your brain and not sending it to the postsynaptic neuron, that's the prevailing theory of where selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or antidepressants come in and sort of help save the day. Now, I don't know why there's this taboo or stigma attached to antidepressants because Jesus was very much into medicine and miracles. So remember when he spit to heal a guy, mm-hmm. like when he did the miracle with spit back then, spit was believed to be medicine. So you can read in the ancient historian Tacitus's account, wherein he reports that Vespasian, the emperor healed a guy with his spit. So they believe spit could heal people. So it's as if Jesus is saying miracles and medicine work hand in hand. So I am a very, very big advocate um, in in science because literally Christians invented the scientific method. Roger Bacon, William of Ockham, seven, eight hundred years ago, they invented the scientific method. So when we can use the modern wonders of medical science to help heal us, why not take it all? Like, like, I'm not just going to take one weapon to defeat the Dark Lord of Depression. I want to use all the weapons available to me to get the maximum amount of hope possible. And for some people, in some cases, antidepressants might help them. Very good. Remembering 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Ben Curson, flirting with darkness. Ben, so good to have you here. Stay well and keep your focus on Christ. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. I had a blast. You bet. It was great having you. Take care of yourself. God bless. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. Help us save 350 babies' lives by the end of January through a gift of one free ultrasound. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.